Let's open our Bibles first to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, to a passage of Scripture you read last evening, and let's just go over it again very briefly to set the stage of the great division and difference that's going to be made in a day that's coming very soon. The difference between flaming fire, vengeance, and mighty angels on the wicked, and his saints admiring him and glorifying him at his second appearing, speaking of our Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 7, And to you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels, in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God and that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. That's one group of men. Verse 10, when he shall come to be glorified in his saints and to be admired in all them that believe, because our testimony among you was believed in that day. Believing the gospel is the evidence of eternal life, that when Jesus Christ appears in heaven, the sky with his mighty angels in flaming fire, we will be delivered because we believe the gospel when we heard it. And so it says that there of these believers. But what a difference and what a contrast at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. A resurrection of life and a resurrection of damnation as Jesus taught in John 5. Let's go back to John 6 and see the Lord Jesus Christ exhorting us indirectly on how to believe in him. The crowd that was before him didn't. Simon Peter was moved. Simon Peter ends this chapter by saying, Lord, we are not going away because where else can we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And this is one of the most dense chapters in the Bible about eternal life. And we want to understand some verses that have caused confusion to many, and I believe we can do it in a hurry. And that is the goal. Here with John chapter 6, beginning at verse 48. Before we do that, though, and this may seem like a rabbit trail to you, but I don't want it to be, Because we see the word belief and coming to Christ and eating and drinking him in John 6, we know that, and I've taught it enough, that that belief is not mental assent. It's not intellectual agreement. There's more to it than that. There's an embracing of Christ. There's a love of him. There's a commitment of service. There's discipleship involved. There's the willingness to sacrifice anything we have for him. There's submission to him as Lord and ruler as well. And it's all embodied in true faith. One little expression, and we know that we know faith worketh by love in 1 Thessalonians 1, that this is the second time I've referred to it in this assembly. Faith which worketh by love. No, that's the one I want. Uh, the, the work of faith, the labor of love, the patience of hope is 1 Thessalonians 1. But Galatians 5, 6 says, faith which worketh by love. And that takes faith in Christ and mix it with, mixes it with loving his brethren and puts the two of them together, faith which worketh by love. That's the real work of faith in that it moves us to be sacrificial and serving to other people. The other people, who are they? The least of these that believe on me, is what Matthew chapter 25 teaches. And so when we come into a place like John 6, and we read verse 47, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. Remember, chapter 2, we met those that believed on him and they weren't saved. Chapter 8, we're going to meet those that believe on him 
And Jesus will say they are the children of the devil. So the faith we want in Christ changes lives. The faith we want in Christ loves the brethren. And let us embrace that faith. The faith of 2 Peter chapter 1, where we have eight things listed. The first is faith, because that's what we start with. Faith, but we add to faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and we climb all the way up the scale or the ladder of Christian graces to brotherly kindness and charity. So remembering that, let's go into these verses here. Let me read 48 to 59, go back and comment briefly on them. John 6, 48, I am that bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven, that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore strove among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man, and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh, and drinketh my blood, hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. As the living Father hath sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is that bread which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers did eat manna, and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. These things said he in the synagogue, as he taught in Capernaum. Lord, help us look at these verses and understand them. I am that bread of life. Jesus had already presented himself as bread and that there was a bread from heaven that they ought to labor for rather than the bread on earth that he had made from that little lad's lunch. If you go back in this chapter to to verses 25 down through 35, you're going to find him comparing two different breads. And now he is just laying claim to that I am that bread of life. If you want real bread, if you want real sustenance, if you want eternal life from bread, I am that bread of life. And he's been exhorting them to believe on him. The whole thrust of John 6 is to believe on him. They said, what must we do to work the works of God? He said, this is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom God hath sent. John 6, 28 and 29. So the whole thrust is to believe on Christ. And now he's going back. He's just told them, he that believeth on me, without the metaphor, hath everlasting life. That we understand. 48 is really no different. He's just picking back up on that metaphor. They started the metaphor. Because they came after him and he realized they only wanted bread, so he played with that bread. He met the woman of Samaria at a well that involved water, so he used water as his metaphor. Here he's, you know, sometimes he used destroy this temple. And he meant his body. Sometimes he's a vine, John chapter 15, and we are branches of that vine. But here the metaphor is the bread. They introduced it because they said, if you want us to believe on you, if that's the work of God, this is how terrible this this audience was. 
if the real work of God is for us to believe on you, show us a sign. Do you remember that? Yes. Show us a sign. Mm-hmm. Why were they following him? Right. Because of his signs. But they right. wanted another sign. And because he didn't respond immediately, they said, God sent bread from heaven in the days of Moses. Do you see what they're going after? They want more bread. They want more earthly bread. And so they bring up Moses again and manna. And so Jesus, in these verses that I just read to you, here in verse 49, and then down again in verse 58, is going to say, your fathers ate that bread that you think you want, and they all died. But what I'm talking about is spiritual bread with spiritual life attached to it, meaning everlasting and eternal life. Get over this earthly bread. I am the bread, that bread of life, meaning eternal life. Verse 48. Jesus had taken the metaphor of bread and applied it to eternal life earlier, and he does so again here. Verse 49. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness. They were the ones that brought up manna because they were trying to get free daily food. The manna would fall six days a week, and on the sixth day of the week, twice as much would fall, so they would have the seventh day covered, and that's what they wanted for themselves. But Jesus is dealing with something far greater and far reaching far beyond that manna and earthly sustenance. It's eternal sustenance, and that's the death of the Lord Jesus Christ for his people and to believe on him. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness. I agree with you that God sent bread down from heaven back in those days, but they died in the wilderness, and they're dead. Jesus reminded them that the bread they desired was far inferior to his bread of life, eternal life. Though their fathers had a free supply of it every day, it didn't preserve life. It's amazing how twisted men can get when they leave the truth that God reveals to them through Christ. In John chapter 8, because you know this example, before I give you some manna examples, in John chapter 8, Jesus said it, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Their immediate response, we've never been in bondage to any man. Remember? The only sound that they could hear at that time was clank, 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 Romans marching on their streets, but they said we've never been in bondage to any man the rebellion of the human heart that is depraved. Why are they talking about manna? Why did they appeal to a cursed generation that was forbidden to enter Canaan? Why did they appeal to a food item that their fathers had cursed? Go read Numbers 11. After they'd had manna for a little while, they cursed the manna. Why did they appeal to a food item far inferior to milk and honey of Canaan? Because they had to work a little bit for the milk and honey of Canaan. They wanted the bread of manna. Just ridiculous. But you know what? That's the human soul. And we don't want to think like them. We want to trust the Lord Jesus Christ and what he said and that he is describing himself as bread for spiritual and eternal nourishment and life. And all we need to do is believe on him to lay hold of that life forever because he'll sustain us by his life-giving power because the Father lives, the Father gave him life, and he will cause us to live as that 57th verse taught. Verse 50, This is the bread which cometh down from heaven, that a man may eat thereof and not die. You you have brought up manna. I am talking about a different kind of bread. This is the bread which came down from heaven that gives eternal life. And he's referring to himself in verse 50. The demonstrative pronoun this, 
this is the bread, is the bread nearest in context, meaning himself. He's not referring back to their manna or any other kind of bread. It distinguishes Jesus from that bread of manna. He stated his descent. Notice verse 50. He says it again. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven. Because he said in verse 48, I am that bread of life. And then he says it in 50. He's saying indirectly, but by connection, I came down from heaven. Remember, they did not like those words. But here the Lord Jesus Christ just keeps giving them the words they do not like because they do not deserve truth. Truth is not a right. Truth is a privilege. We chose a lie in the Garden of Eden. And we've chosen lies ever since. And God is righteous to send strong delusion that men would believe a lie as 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 describes. Truth is a blessing. It's a privilege. It's a gift. And we should thank God for every bit that he's shown us. That a man may eat thereof and not die. Jesus Christ is that bread that he provides the eternal nutrition and sustenance for heaven. And it's not complicated to eat him. When it says in verse 50 that a man may eat thereof, it's all believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. Because he's using a metaphor, he needs to use eat. Because how do you get benefit from bread? Looking at it? Smelling it? Hearing it? Touching it? Eating it? So that's why he uses eat. It's not, it, is, it is not more complicated than that. There is not a vital relationship here. There's not really a legal relationship yet. It's going to be mentioned, the connection. It's practically believing on Christ. Because when you're using a metaphor of bread, you've got to use eat to get the benefit of the bread. But he's, he's teaching, believe on me. That's the work of God, is to believe on Christ. But it takes eternal purpose and quickening power to see the Son of God and to believe on Him. Verse 51. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Now Jesus takes the metaphor of bread and extends a little bit to include His flesh which I'm going to wager a guess that he already knew would offend them a little bit more. But he used it anyway, because now he's been referring to bread as a metaphor, a symbol, figurative language, describing himself since they were the ones that brought up bread. I'm the one you really need. I am that bread. He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. And so now he says again in verse 51, I am the living bread which came down from heaven, pushing that point of his divine authority and divine mission from God to come down and give eternal life to the world of his elect among Jews and Gentiles. If a man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. That's to believe on Christ. Believing on Jesus Christ is the assurance and evidence of eternal life. We first lay hold of eternal life by believing on Jesus as our Lord and Savior. We then add to our faith the expected good works that the Bible teaches. And we can know that we're going to live forever. And that bread that I will give is my flesh. In the middle of verse 51. Jesus expands his metaphor to include flesh. Or the meat part of an animal that is eaten. Or a person. Bread is not flesh. 
Flesh is not bread. These are two different things. Now, bread can be meat, and flesh can be meat in Bible terminology, but bread is not flesh, and flesh is not bread. This is figurative, metaphorical speech. He had started with bread from feeding the 5,000 and their appeal to manna. But now he extends it to include his death. Instead of just bread represents me, eat the bread that's come down from heaven, meaning believe on me. Now he says, I am the bread that came down from heaven and I am going to give my flesh for the life of the world. So he introduces a literal aspect of himself that he would give his body on the cross of Calvary for the redemption of the sins of his people, which I will give for the life of the world. Jesus would secure eternal life for the believing elect by giving his flesh in death. He was the living bread that they should believe on, that they should eat by believing on him. And by believing on him, they would have everlasting life and lay hold of it and know it for themselves. And we should believe on him as our substitute for dying on the cross of Calvary for us. It is Christ crucified. Now this point is going to continue to gain momentum. It is Christ crucified hanging on a cursed tree that we are to believe. It's not just to believe on Jesus as the Son of God. It's to believe on Jesus as the Son of God who died a substitutionary death for us, thus becoming our Redeemer. So he's Lord and Savior because I'm going to give my flesh. And he's going to talk about eating his flesh and drinking his blood by embracing him as the life giver for us because he laid down his life for us to be our Redeemer. And I will give it for the life of the world. The world here is no larger than the world of his elect from Jews and Gentiles. It's no different than the word all that, we're going to have, that we have in this passage, which we have back in verse 45. It is written in the prophets, and they shall be all taught of God. All of whom? All of God's elect will be taught of God. All those that come to him, all those given to him by the Father. That all is limited in its context of those that are God's elect given to Jesus Christ. Because this passage in verse 37 began with, all that the Father giveth me. And so that limits our scope of the word world. And we don't worry about the word world because we don't want to miss the real doctrine. Verse 52, the Jews therefore strove among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Because Jesus had said in verse 51, that bread that I will give is my flesh. It's to believe on Christ. But what do we believe on Christ? And what is Christ going to do for us that is the basis for eternal life? It's giving his flesh, laying down his life for his people. So they strove among themselves. I appreciate John, especially in six, chapter 6 here. He constantly interjects the audience response. Honestly, if you, if you want to print off John 6, take two highlighters. I've told you this before. Go through and highlight Jesus speaking and highlight their response back and forth, back and forth. They did not want to submit to the doctrine of Jesus Christ. I hope you have no question in your minds of wanting to reject or, or, or push the Lord Jesus Christ off no matter what he says. These, are, these things can be hard right here. Many people have been misled by these words that we're now reading, but we don't need to be. Right. We can just trust the context that drives our interpretation of it, that it's speaking of believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. They did not grasp his reference to bread, and they certainly didn't grasp his reference to flesh, because he pushed it a little farther with them. 
Did Jesus know they would stumble over his use of flesh? Of course. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Unregenerate men, carnal men, are mostly limited to the natural sense of words. They can't understand the spiritual sense that is so often used in the Word of God. They didn't grasp the spiritual sense. Though eternal life is constantly being mentioned as the goal, the end, the result of believing on Jesus and eating Him as bread was eternal life. That's as spiritual as you can get. It's nothing about this world. It's about the next world. Like the woman of Samaria, the metaphor was too much to initially grasp, although these people never grasped it. They did not know or care to know of Jesus giving his body and saving death. The Jews required a sign, but we preached Christ crucified, and to the Jews it was a stumbling block. They did not want a Savior that died on a cross. Huge stumbling block to the Jews. We want a Savior that died on the cross. We thank God for a Savior that died on the cross. And if that Savior hadn't died on the cross, we're lost. Like Jesus, Paul kept his message simple, trusting God's work to reveal those that were real believers and truly God's elect. Verse 53, Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He is responding to them, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am sorry that I was using metaphors about my flesh, and now I will clarify that I meant that you are to believe on me, and I'm going to lay myself down on the cross for your salvation. No, he didn't say anything like that. He pushed his metaphor a little bit farther in a literal use of his blood. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. That verse is... That verse sounds so difficult to understand, but it isn't really in the context of believing on Christ and coming to Him and eating Him as bread. He is, going to, he is going to give His flesh on the cross of Calvary, and He's going to shed His blood. He does not mean any literal drinking of His blood or any literal eating of His flesh. He means eating Him as the bread of life that came down from heaven, and by that He meant believing on Him. It all just keeps coming back to believing on Him. That's all that there is in this passage. Why is it written this way? Because God made a choice that by strong delusion, there would be 1.2 billion Catholics that would believe in transubstantiation because of this passage. That when they eat their little cracker and drink wine, and now they get to drink the wine a little bit, they are eating and drinking the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Jesus Christ, literally. And so he gave them the rope to hang themselves with. And we don't believe that at all. Except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man. This terminology that Jesus used, implying cannibalism, was very offensive to a Jewish mind. Think about it. The Jews couldn't even touch a dead human body without being unclean. The God of Moses had declared clean and unclean animal meat, ignoring human meat because nobody would even question that as being unclean. The life of the flesh is in the blood, so the Jews could not partake of blood. Since our Lord spoke of drinking blood, that it was not cooked blood in any way. It was still in a liquid form. This is Jesus just laying it on them. To eat the flesh of Christ is not cannibalism, transubstantiation, or communion. Communion is not here. Transubstantiation of the Catholics is not here. Cannibalism is not here. It's belief. 
Any literal interpretation or application misses the Lord's metaphor for faith in this chapter. It is taking Christ by faith as the flesh, blood, substitute of God to die for us. He shed his blood, he gave his flesh, he gave his body for our redemption in the cross of Calvary, and we believe on him as the whole Savior that gave both parts of him, self, in death to pay for our sins. It is not different than the eating of him as bread that had been often repeated up to this point. Faith in Christ Jesus must focus on his death, his burial, and his resurrection for us. The gospel is the burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ according to the scriptures. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. This is a metaphorical way of presenting it. Could Jesus have taught it simpler? Yes. Did he choose not to? Yes. Why? I've already told you. He wanted to give them rope to hang themselves. These literalistic Jews and the literalistic Catholics that came behind them. The Catholics believe that when that priest holds up that big wafer, he's got the big one in his possession, when he holds that up and says, hocus corpus meum in Latin, when he says, this is my body in English, they understand, that they believe, that that turns into the body, the blood. Yes, the cracker is the blood in Catholicism. And the wine is the body. Because you get both species under either one of the, of the, the bread or the wine. It's a long doctrine of theirs. And not only body and blood, but soul and divinity. You are eating the divine nature of Jesus Christ when you eat that cracker. And when you come up front and stick out your tongue, and they stick the little mini one on that you get, and they put it on your tongue, the Lamb of God, the Lamb of God, the Lamb of God. And they believe that. Why do they believe it? John 6. I was six years old when I first got confronted with this by a neighborhood boy named Glenn Kinsey that was one of my friends because he was a Catholic. Now, let's see, let's reword that. Because he was one of my friends and he was a Catholic. He wasn't my friend because he was a Catholic. But I remember sitting out in the woods with him and hearing him trying to tell me about this chapter and that they were the only church in town that did it the right way. Lord, thank you for showing us this. Amen. We're being driven by the context right, on, right all the way through John 6. The eating the bread was believing on Christ. The eating his flesh and drinking his blood is believing on Christ as our Redeemer on the cross of Calvary. Amen. Jesus has added a little bit by stretching it out for us, showing that I will give my flesh for the life of the world. And so eating his flesh and drinking his blood is believing on him as a Redeemer not just the Son of God or the bread come down from heaven. He's got the eternal sustenance and nutrition for everlasting life, but it's by the vehicle of his flesh and his blood. Drinking his blood. They were forbidden to drink or eat blood by Moses' law, and he's just pushing this on Jews that could not touch blood. It's not cannibalism. It's spiritual faith in Christ. It's not transubstantiation of the Catholics, and it's not even communion. There is no reference to our communion in John 6. It's faith. It's faith in Christ. You have no life in you. I've taught so much on transubstantiation in the past that I don't want to really take... I'm not going to take time right now for it. They just get all hung up on the words, this is my body. 
They understand it literally. We understand it metaphorically, meaning this is a picture of my body. Lutherans and Presbyterians handle it under a different form of speech to end up with variations in between transubstantiation and our symbolism. You know, you just got to tell a Catholic, but what, is it, what does it mean when it says, this cup is the New Testament in my blood? Do we chew the cup? Because the cup is the New Testament. So we should grind glass and, and chew it. You know, they love the words, this is my body, but this cup is the New Testament. Is it really? There's so many things that could be said, and I've said it before, and I don't want to say it now. Let's just go on to the next verse. Verse 54. Jesus is repeating himself in different ways. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life. We've already been told who has eternal life. Those that believe on him. Believe on the one that God sent down. And I will raise him up at the last day. I love that. I love that phrase so much, that clause. And I will raise him up at the last day. Do, we, do you know by now how many times it's in John 6? Have I, have I stressed that, Paul? Four times? Four times! And I will raise him up at the last day, and I will lose none of them, but I will raise him up at the last day. I will raise him up at the last day. I will raise him up at the last day. Does it bother you to hear it four times? I want to I hear it all four times. He's going to raise me up at the last day. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood... From the previous negative verse, verse 53 is negative. If you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life in you. This one's positive. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life. Eating and drinking Christ here is our faith in him as our crucified redeemer. It is your duty and privilege to examine yourself about his death for you, to discern him, to remember him and his death for you. Faith in Christ must focus on his death, burial, and resurrection for us. Paul said, I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. So he was always putting Christ up crucified. The crucified Christ. I am crucified with Christ. Galatians 2.20. Galatians 6.14. God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of my Lord Jesus Christ. So when we look to Christ... We don't just see him as the Word made flesh. We don't just see him as the Son of God. We don't just see him as the Messiah of Israel. We don't just see him as the miracle performer of Judea. We see him as the Savior of the elect sent down by God who gave his body and his blood for our redemption. And so Jesus has expanded the bread to include him as Redeemer. The bread was sufficient for the development of our Lord's argument. Because bread will sustain life. And Jesus was applying that. It will sustain your everlasting life to believe on me. But the way I'm going to provide you life is by the giving of my flesh and my blood. And so embrace it all. Eat it all. Drink it all in. Take it in. I'm your Savior by dying for you and giving my body and my blood to save you. Why did he use such confusing speech? Since he knew it was quite offensive, he's going to ask them in just a minute, not today. He's going to ask them in verse 60, or verse 61, does this offend you? You all know where to turn. Matthew 13, why did he speak in parables? Yeah. To keep it from them. But I want you to remember that there's two, two chapters later, Matthew 15. Jesus got a little crude with the Pharisees and told them that you, you all fuss about what goes into the mouth. 
But that's not what defiles a man, because anything that goes into his mouth goes out in the draft, goes out in the sewer. The disciples pulled Jesus aside and said, don't you know they were offended by that? Oh. And Jesus ran after them and said, I'm sorry for offending you. No, not at all. Jesus said, they be blind leaders of the blind. Let them both fall into the ditch. Every plant that my heavenly Father hath not planted, let it be rooted up. While I'm on this subject of really knowing the Jesus of the Bible, if you're not one of God's elect that has believed on his Son, you do not want to meet the Lord Jesus Christ. I never knew you. Depart from me. Ye cursed into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. But what I wanted to say to you is I gave you a, chapter, a psalm that you could have read last evening. It's the last one of the four that I gave you. It's Psalm 109, and it's about Judas Iscariot. And if you want to read a rough psalm, it's Psalm 109. About all of his sons being brought up into the remembrance of God, all of his children being vagabonds, it just goes on and on and on. If you want to know about the love of Jesus for the non-elect, go read Psalm 109. When I think about these things, as great as the Lord Jesus Christ is, the only begotten Son of God, the Word made flesh, I believe he deserves all the honor that he should get and that he should treat his enemies just the way he does treat them. That's what a great king does. He grinds his enemies to powder. Doesn't the Bible tell us? Why do we love the lion or tiger? Why do we love the lion? Because he's the king of beasts, and if you want to mess with him, he's going to tear you apart. Right. Why do we love certain kings? Because they're, the, the fear of a king is as the roaring of a lion. He brings his wheel over the wicked. We love a strong leader. The Lord Jesus Christ is the ultimate leader. And for those that want to defy him and reject him, who did not remember the who did not understand or accept the day of his visitation to Judea, he leveled that city to the ground. Right. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Jesus made great emphasis about the elect in the day of judgment. There is a day coming, brethren, like nothing you've ever faced before. You've never had an exam. You've never had to give birth. Or you've never had surgery. Anything to even compare to this day that's coming. But we're going to glorify Him in that day. Amen. We're going to admire Him in that day. We're going to celebrate Him in that day. Thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, for making such a huge difference. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. If you really want to live forever, I have flesh and I have meat and blood that you truly need. Right. It, is, it is truly, indeed, flesh and blood that will sustain you. The life of the flesh is in the blood. But the life of the Lord Jesus Christ and the blood that he shed on Calvary is truly what we want to embrace and believe and thus eat and drink metaphorically because it's for our eternal life. Verse 55 is powerful. My flesh is meat indeed. Because it is what will sustain and provide eternal life for God's elect. He, verse 56, He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me and I in him. When you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, that shows that you're dwelling in Christ and Christ is dwelling in you. How can you get closer? How can you get closer to Jesus Christ than when he's dwelling in you and you are dwelling in him at the same time? 
I love 1 John 4.15. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him and he in God. There it is again. The same writer telling us that to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, which is to eat his flesh, to drink his blood, to eat him as the bread of life come down from heaven, is eternal life. And that eternal life is described here as being in Christ and Christ in us, You'll never be separated from God with that kind of a relationship in Jesus Christ. John 10 puts it, we are in the hand of Jesus Christ, and Jesus Christ is in the hand of God. Colossians chapter 3 says, for your life is hid with Christ in God. We are safe. As the living Father hath sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. The living Father, independent, Life. I am that I am. He breathed into a little bit of dust, and man became a living soul. He cried, live, to the infant Israel in Ezekiel chapter 16, and she blossomed beautifully. And I live by the Father. God the Father endowed Jesus Christ with human life forever as our mediator. So he that eateth me, even he shall live by me, because it's being traced back up to God. God, the independent life of the universe, the independent being of the universe. I am that I am gave life to the Lord Jesus Christ in the womb of the Virgin Mary. The power of the highest shall overshadow thee. The Holy Ghost shall come upon thee. Therefore also that holy thing that shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. All things were made by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And we live by him because he is the way, the truth, and the life. Because we believe on him and it shows that he has called us and he's and drawn us to him, to come to him. And we come to him and we were drawn to come to him because all that the Father giveth me shall come to me. Because all shall be taught of God. And in verse 45. Verse 58, this is that bread which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. Here the Lord Jesus Christ two times in about ten verses tells them, stop thinking about manna. Your fathers ate manna and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. Stop thinking about this life. Think about the next life. Instead of thinking about manna every morning so that you won't have to work, think about the fact that if you believe on me, when you stand in the great day of judgment before Almighty God, you won't have to worry because you'll have a Savior. What a difference. This short little life, let Let us starve as long as we're in love with the Lord Jesus Christ or be fat in this world with all the goodies of this country and then find ourselves without a Savior in the great day of judgment? That's terrible. So believe on me. As the living Father hath sent me, verse 57, and I live with the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. Verse 58, this is that bread which came down from heaven. I am that bread which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers did eat manna, and are dead, he that eateth of this bread shall live forever. Don't the elect die? All believers except the last generation are going to die. Yes, their physical bodies die, but the spirits are immediately with the Lord. We're talking about eternal life. We're not talking about earthly life. We're talking about the life that really counts, the next one, not this one. And the body only sleeps. The soul never sleeps. The body only sleeps temporarily in the ground. Jesus will teach Martha and Mary later in this gospel that he intends eternal life by his words. 
Jesus has abolished death and brought life and immortality to light. What death has he abolished altogether? It's the second death. Revelation 20 and verse 6, Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. That's to be born again by the life-giving voice of Jesus Christ. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death shall have no power. Because we're going to be saved by the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul mocked death in the grave, though our bodies take a nap in it. And we want to plant our bodies anyway, but Paul was looking beyond to eternity. If we had a timeline across the wall back here, and it was eternity, how would we represent the human life of 70 years? Who's got the thinnest hair in here? We'd take one strand of your hair and put it up there, and you wouldn't be able to see it, and that would accurately represent this life in comparison to eternity. But they weren't thinking that way, were they? They're going to turn and walk away. They, they are going to turn and walk away from him. And Peter is going to say, We believe and are sure that thou art that Christ, the Son of the living God, and to whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. Amen. And we have heard the words of eternal life from John chapter 6. Amen. We should have an eternal perspective like Abraham did. When God said, Abraham, come outside, look north, look, look south, look east, look west. I'm going to give you all this land. Did Abraham go put down stakes anywhere? He understood that to be heaven. Their father, these Jews, their father thought that those directions meant heaven. But they couldn't get this lesson at all, and they're going to walk away. Are you going to walk away from Jesus Christ? Let's run to him and embrace every word that he has said and believe on him as our Lord and our Savior and answer those seven questions that I gave you earlier. They'll be in the outline. I will send them to anyone that wants them. They're very important questions. If you apply this to physical death, then you're thinking naturally just like these Jews. We need to plan our bodies to get rid of them. These things said he in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. They're going to say this is a hard saying. I can't believe that he used flesh and blood the way he did. It makes it look like cannibalism. This is ridiculous. I'm going to go back into town, stop at the A&W, and get myself a nice cold root beer. And Jesus will say, well, it wouldn't matter what I did. It wouldn't matter what I said. It wouldn't matter if I ascended back up to heaven. Because I've already known who was going to believe. This is what he says to finish out the chapter. I, I already knew who was going to believe. Therefore I said unto you, no man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him. And so they all they walked away because he told them again, the problem is not with me. The problem's not with the language. The problem's with you. You haven't been taught of God. You haven't been drawn of God to me. You weren't given to me by the Father. Will ye go away also to his apostles? And they would not. Let's not ever go away from the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Let's believe on him with all of our hearts and be willing to give him our lives. Let us add to our faith the things that we should add to it so that we are a full-bodied, fruitful Christian, making our calling and election sure to ourselves and to each other. And that this church can grow into that higher ground that we want to have for Him. We can, by so believing on Him and living our lives accordingly, have great confidence in the day of our death. We can be like Paul, far better to depart and to be with Christ. We can die like the four Four short prayers that I gave you today. One of them was not death. Three of them were death. I hope you remember all four. I hope that you can remember that there's a way to die, and a way to die confidently, and a way to die committing your spirit to Christ.
Because that's true belief in him. Trusting him now, trusting him then. Obeying him now. Being willing to sacrifice for him. He says, you can't be my disciple. You're not a real believer. If you can't cut off the right hand once in a while, pluck out the right eye once in a while, leave some relationships once in a while, can we do that for him? Will we? Will we do it daily? Let's do it daily. John 6 was not Jesus at a diner with his apostles teaching them about eternal life. It was Jesus condemning an audience that came to him because they wanted more bread. They wanted the excitement of a carnal church service. They were not there because they loved the Son of God and were willing to live in obedience to him and his rules. Let's make sure that we're different. May the Lord Jesus Christ bless his word. Amen.